Well, we are in our sermon series. It's a seven-week series, the famous last words of Jesus, the seven sayings from the cross. We've looked at two of them already, and today is the third one. So our text for this morning is John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. This is what God's word says. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples, whom, the disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. This is the word of God. This is the third saying from the cross. Interestingly enough, the first saying that Jesus said from the cross, the first word spoken were to his father, his heavenly father. They were words of prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's prayed for his enemies. His second words from the cross were spoken to the thief at his side, the dying thief, rebel at his side on the cross. And to him he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. That was the second saying of Christ from the cross. Today the third saying from the cross is, A woman, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. It's spoken to his own mother. And then spoken to the disciple whom he loved, John. Behold your mother. These are the, the third saying of Jesus from the cross. And it reminds us that our Heavenly Father cares for his own. Jesus, in his dying breath, his last words, the most important words that he uh, would, would focus on, these seven sayings are the most important things that he needed to communicate to his people. And in those final words, he remembered his family. He remembered his mother. And he remembered her needs. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it from Mary's perspective and then from John's perspective. Uh, for Mary, it's a reminder that Jesus knew Mary, knew his mother, and he understood her needs. I think you can tell from the context here that Jesus' earthly adopted father, Joseph, was already dead. If, uh, if he were still alive, Jesus would not have to make arrangements to care for his mother. So I think it's clear from the context that Joseph was already dead. Now, we don't know how long he had been dead, but at least by now, for sure, he is gone. And Mary is a widow that is assumed from the context. Maybe she'd been a widow for a while, for a long time. We don't know. But in this culture, widows were especially vulnerable. It was a very patriarchal culture. Everybody had to be part of a patriarchal tribe. And if the patriarch dies, if the a husband died, a widow was very vulnerable. She needed a man. She needed a patriarch. She needed to be part of somebody's family. I know that sounds very sexist for us to say these days, but it was true back then, and it's still true in patriarchal societies. Uh, there are many patriarchal societies in, in that uh, part of the world, in the Middle East. And, and women had special needs, and they needed special care. And Jesus knew that. Jesus understood that, and he provided that for his mother. Because the words, at first, when you hear the words, it sounds like Jesus is saying to his mother, uh, Mom, look at me. 
Mother, behold your son. That's what the words sound like when you first hear that. But then you look at the context and you realize that's not what he's saying at all. He's pointing Mary to a new son, John. The John would be her new son. The John would be her protector. The John would be her provider. The John would provide the care that she needs. So he's really pointing her to a new provider, not, not telling her to look at him, but telling her to look at her new son, John. That's the direction he was going with that. So since we're talking about women in general, this is an interesting question about uh, who were the women at the cross? Who were the women that were actually there observing this? And if you go back to our text, uh, you can look at the text there, and, and it has, I think, four women that John tells us about by the cross. And then we'll compare that with the other Gospels. So the first one that he mentions is his mother, Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Then it says his mother's sister, and then Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So those are the four. Now, some people think that um, when it says his mother's sister, comma, Mary, the wife of Clopas, that, that is the same person. Now, I don't think so. I think they're four distinct people. But you can see, just by the way it's placed, grammatically in the sentence structure, it's possible that his mother's sister is Mary, the wife of Clopas, but to me, that's not very likely because uh, why would you have two sisters both named Mary? I mean, I guess that's possible. I guess theoretically it's possible. I mean, uh, George Foreman had five boys and he named them all George. So I guess it's possible, uh, but, but it, to me it's unlikely that you would have two sisters both named Mary. So I take them as different people. So that would give us four different people. So, so the question is, who were the women at the cross? Let's start with the Gospel of John and what John said. I think John gives us four of them. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's sister, who is not named or described other than that here in the text, here in John. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary, the wife of Clopas, uh, we, we actually do know who Clopas is. Clopas shows up uh, in Luke after the resurrection. Jesus appeared on the road to Emmaus to two disciples. One of the disciples, we are told, is named Clopas. So we know that, that Clopas was a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. That Jesus appeared to Clopas and one other unidentified disciple after the resurrection. And that Clopas's wife was named Mary and that she was there with Jesus at the cross. And then Mary Magdalene, of course, is, she's the only one that's clearly named all four times in all four Gospels. Uh, so we, we know for sure who she is, and that she was uh, there at the cross, and uh, there's no question about her identity. So John has these four, three of which are named Mary at the cross. Then let's compare that with Matthew then. Matthew says that there are many women who follow Jesus. So I don't think they name all of them, but they do name several of them. But there were many women who followed Jesus, and they were ministering to him. They were looking on him from afar, so they weren't right there at the cross, but they were at a distance watching. And among those were Mary Magdalene, we know who she is, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Okay, now this is interesting. Now this is John, and now compare that with Matthew. John names, I think, four. Some people say it's three, but I think four. Matthew gives us three. Mary Magdalene, we knew, no, so number one is the same as number four up here. 
Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, who's that? Well, Mary could be just a random Mary who has two boys named James and Joseph that we don't know. That's possible, but I don't think so. I think Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know that the Jesus had four brothers, at least four brothers, and he had uh, at least two sisters because it's plural. He had sisters. Uh, we know this from Matthew 13, where his own townspeople in, in Nazareth they say, "Is not this the carpenter's son?" They know they knew who Jesus was. Is not his mother called Mary? They know who his mother was. Interesting, they don't say anything about Joseph, so he's probably already gone at this point. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. So we know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had four boys named James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And his sisters, plural. So we know he had at least two sisters. So when it says the, the mother of James and Joseph, I think that's who it's talking about. It's talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, is, number one up here, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then we get this interesting one down here, mother of Zebedee's sons. We know who Zebedee's sons are, James and John, the sons of thunder, disciples of Jesus. We know who they are. But who is their mother? Their mother was there at the cross, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, just like her two boys were disciples of Jesus. So this is where it gets interesting. Is... Mary, or excuse me, is the mother of Zebedee down here, number three, is that Mary's sister. That's a possibility. And in fact, I'm going to say it's, it's likely, it's the most likely possibility. We don't know for sure, but I'm saying it's probable that, Mary, that the mother of Zebedee's sons is Mary's sister. That would make the sons of thunder, James and John, cousins of Jesus. That's a possibility that they're all part of the same family. And that uh, Mary's sister is the mother of Zebedee's sons. That would be my guess. Now let's look at Mark. Mark names three. Mary Magdalene, we know her. Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. I've already said that that, I believe, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then Salome. Well, now that's interesting. This is even more interesting. If this is the same three, then perhaps Salome is the name of Mary's sister who is the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Maybe they're all three the same person, just described differently in different ways. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? That's a possibility. In fact, I'm, I'm saying that's a likely possibility. And then Luke. Luke names three. Luke names Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James. Okay, we know uh, who Mary Magdalene is. We know who Mary the mother of James is, but it doesn't mention Joseph there, but I'm assuming that's Mary the mother of Jesus also. And then it throws in a different one, Joanna. Where did she come from? Well, Luke mentioned uh, Joanna before. Uh, Luke mentioned her in Luke 8, 3. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. So we know who jo Joanna was, that she was one of the followers of Jesus, along with Susanna and many others who provided him from their substance. So Luke mentions Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, and Susanna as followers of Jesus. And he mentions uh, Joanna and Mary Magdalene at the cross, but Susanna is the only one that doesn't show up at the cross. So she must have been one of the followers of Jesus, but she is not there at the cross. So uh, those, those are the, the four Gospels. If you compare all of them together, you get I come up with five that are named specifically. It could be as much as eight if they're all separate, but I think there's overlap there. And if my overlap is correct, 
Uh, I come up with five. That first of all, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was there, and that she is the same as the mother of James and Joseph. Mary Magdalene is clearly there, and she's uh, uh, named the same in all four Gospels. Uh, there's a Mary, who is the wife of Clopas, a disciple of Jesus. There's Mary's sister, who I think is probably the same as Salome, who is probably the same as the mother of Zebedee's sons. I'm not sure about that. We can't be dogmatic about that, but that's a, a reasonable guess to say that uh, Mary's sister is Salome, who is uh, a mother of Zebedee's son. By the way, archaeologists have shown that at that time uh, in Israel, uh, around Jerusalem, if, uh, if you were a female, you had a 50-50 chance. You just flip a coin, half chance, 50-50 chance that you were named either Mary or Salome, that those were the two most popular names at the time, and half of the women had one or the other of those two names. So they were very common names, so that's why we uh, get some confusion going on here. And then uh, Joanna, the wife of Cusin. So you have these five that are specifically named at the cross. I think that the point is that these women, um, they, were, they lived in an oppressive society. They lived in a patriarchal society. They had special needs, and yet Jesus loved the women. Jesus brought them into his church, into his flock, into his fold. And uh, Jesus um, used them to minister. And that even in his dying breath, Jesus cared for the women in his life that he loved. He cared for his, his own mother. And he loved his own mother. And he pointed her to the one that would be her new provider in this situation, even in his dying breath. So, so that applies to all the women. That applies to all the women of the cross. But, but Mary had some very specific needs, some very specific hurts. And this was prophesied. This was prophesied in the scripture by an old man named Simeon who held the baby Jesus in his arms and gave a word of prophecy. After he gave a word of prophecy, he turned to Mary and spoke directly to Mary in his prophecy. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, in Luke 2, verses 34 and 35, this is what he said. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against and then look at the parentheses here. In parentheses, he says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Simeon looks to Mary, as Mary's the new mother holding her new baby, little baby Jesus. And Simeon says to Mary, A sword will pierce through your soul also. I think what he was saying was that Mary had a position of, of great privilege and responsibility, a privilege nobody else on earth had. She gave birth to the Savior, the Messiah, the one who would die for her sins. She would be, be raising that little boy to be a man, to be the Savior. An awesome re responsibility and privilege that nobody else had except her. And yet with that came some unique hurt and some unique pain. I imagine it happened really quick. I imagine it wasn't easy giving birth in a stable and laying the new baby in a manger. That must have hurt. That must have been very hard for a new mother to do. And imagine what she felt like when Herod tries to kill her own little baby boy. And, of course, she's protected, and he's protected, and God moves them and protects them. But maybe she had family, maybe she had friends, maybe she had neighbors who were affected by that. Maybe... Uh, she had family or friends or neighbors that had lost a little boy that was killed because Herod wanted to kill her son. 
that must have been a sharp pain, like a, a, a sword piercing through her soul. Imagine the, the hurt as she left her 12-year-old Jesus at the temple and, and uh, the, the panic and that when she realized that he wasn't with her and that they had to go back and find him. And when they find him, he's with all the rabbis and the teachers. And he says, that must be about my father's business, my heavenly father's business now. Then, all right, mom and dad, you, you were important to me for the first 12 or 13 years, but now I'm focused on my heavenly father's business. That must have been a, a piercing a sword to her soul. And then we're also told in, uh, this is Matthew 12, verse 47 to 50, that uh, they came up to Jesus while he was ministering with his disciples and teaching the multitudes and doing miracles and all that. Uh, one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So again, that must have been like a, a sharp sword piercing her soul. That here's my son, but my son has a new family now. That he doesn't have time for his real family because he's ministering to his new family now. It must have been like a, a sharp sword piercing her soul. And perhaps this is the sharpest sword as she stands by the cross and she's watching her son die. And she believed in him. She believed that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah sent from God to save us from our sins. She believed him, and yet here he is dying on the cross. And her hopes were fading. And perhaps this was the, the sharpest pain that, she, that a mother could ever possibly endure. And it's observing her own son, the, the, the innocent one, the pure one, being crucified for not his own sins, but for our sins. She was in her darkest time, and in her darkest time, Jesus speaks to her from the cross as he's suffering. And as he's dying, he speaks to her from the cross and says, A woman, behold your son. Don't worry, Mom. He's going to take care of you. He will be your provider. He will be your protector. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not abandoning you. I know Dad's gone now. I know you're a widow. I know it seems like you're alone, but you're not alone. God will provide for you and John, my beloved apostle will provide for you. So in his last words, Jesus provides comfort to his own mother. That is the perspective of Mary. Now let's look at it from the perspective of John, his faithful follower, that Jesus used his faithful follower to, uh, to minister to his own family. The text is, is very brief on this, John 19, 27. It just says, he said to his disciple, behold, your mother, to John, this is your mother now. Now remember, John's mother is there at the cross. John has a mother, and she is there, present with them. And uh, yet Jesus says, John, you have another mother now. you got to take care, care of both of them. you got to take care of your own mom. you got to take care of my mom too, says Jesus. So he said, behold in your mother. And guess what he did from that hour? He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He understood what Jesus was asking. He knew what was expected of him. And so he takes Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his own home. He's the patriarch now. And uh, the question is, why would Jesus do that? Because remember, Jesus had four brothers. Why didn't he have one of his brothers take care of his mom? That would be the logical thing to do. James was probably the next because he's mentioned first in the list of four brothers. 
brothers. And he, James becomes a, a great, brilliant leader in the church in, in Jerusalem, a well-known leader in the church. So, so surely he's capable of providing for his own mother. Why didn't Jesus entrust his brother James to take care of his mother? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of answers that we can suggest to that. One of them is spiritual. We, we know from uh, the Gospels, we know from the book of John, that even his brothers did not believe in him. When he went to preach in uh, Nazareth, that his brothers did not believe in him. We know his brothers did not believe in him until after he was crucified, after he rose again. They are with him in Acts. In Acts, in Acts 1, verse 14, it says, They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and with Mary. See, the women are still there. Mary is still there, the mother of Jesus. But it also includes, and with his brothers. So his brothers are with them now. Now, at first they didn't believe while Jesus was alive on earth preaching and teaching, but afterward the brothers believed. Now, this was the darkest moment for, for Mary. This was the time when she had to witness her son die and her hopes were crushed. These were the darkest hours and darkest days. And, and I think Jesus was thinking that, that Mary needs somebody with the same faith. Mary needs somebody that not just to provide physically, but somebody she could be non-spiritual. Somebody that believed in Jesus like Mary believed in Jesus. And so Jesus did not pick his brother James because James is not a believer yet. He was a, a, a good leader. He definitely would have been a good provider for his mother, I'm sure. But spiritually, he did not believe in Jesus. So Jesus said, Mom, I want you to go with John because John has strong faith. John loves me. John knows me. John believes in me. Go with him. He will give you the comfort that you need. He will keep your faith strong during this time when it would be just natural for your weight for, for your uh, faith to be weak and to waver. That would be natural. But, Mom, what you need is you need a strong believer at this time. You see the importance of the, the spiritual relationship that, that Mary could have with John. So I think that's one part of the answer. Uh, the other part of the answer uh, could be found in John 21. In John 21, there's this interesting exchange where Jesus talks to Peter, and Jesus tells Peter uh, about his death. That some people are going to come and take you away where you don't want to go. You're going to be martyred. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be put to death. You're going to be martyred. And that's what happened to all of the disciples who were all martyred for their faith in Christ. They were all killed prematurely. None of them died of old age except for one, John. John is the one who lived, outlived all the other disciples. And you see a hint of that here in John 21. When Peter saw him, him is John. Peter saw John and said to Jesus, The Lord, what about this man? What about John? And Jesus said to him, if I will, that you remain till I come, what is that to you? Uh, Jesus said, Peter, you take care of your own life, but uh, John, he's, got, he's probably going to live a long time. Guess what? That's exactly what happened. You, you see a hint of that here in John 21, and that's exactly what happened. John outlived all the other disciples, and he's the only one that lived into his ripe old age. He's the only one. All the others died prematurely. And, and so maybe that played into it. I'm not sure, but that played into the decision. I I think spiritually you could make the case that um, Jesus wanted his mother to be with somebody who believed in him because that's the most important thing, his faith in Christ, being saved, that's the most important thing. But perhaps it was also because John would have a, a longer, like he would be around longer, and uh, he could provide stability for Jesus' mother. We know that uh, Jesus' brother James was also martyred. He was also put to death, and he was uh, one, of, one of the early ones to be put to death. 
but John lasted much longer. And so perhaps Jesus, knowing all these things, he did that which is best for his mother, but he used his, his own disciple. See, Jesus could have done it himself. Jesus could have, he could have called the angels to come and provide for Mary. He could have said, uh, uh, Mom, all you have to do is go home and uh, uh, go fishing every day and you'll catch a fish with a coin, a gold coin in its mouth. He did that to his disciples. He, he could have miraculously provided for his mother. He could have sent angels to provide for his mother, but instead he used John. And that's what he still does today. That, that he is using us to reach the world. He uses us to, to share the gospel with others. He uses us to, to reach others who are in need and, and help them. And uh, we, we really need that in, during these times. During times when people are isolated, when they're alone, when they might have uh, trouble you know, getting out or getting to the store or you know, running out of toilet paper or whatever it is, whatever's going on out there, uh, God will, will know those needs and God will respond and God will answer our prayers. But he will use us. He will use you. And he will use me. And we need to be aware of those and ready to, to serve. The most important thing is knowing Christ, believing in him, trusting him during this time. Knowing Christ is your Savior. He died on, our, on the cross for our sins. That's the most important thing. But then knowing that, we can, we can reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus knew the needs of his mother, even though it was hanging on the cross. And Jesus used his beloved disciple to meet those needs. Let's close with prayer.